Tonight we're starting this series on Ephesians that I've been really psyched about, and we're going to be working on Ephesians for the next 10 weeks, including tonight. And so I would just ask that you, in your own time at home, just be reading Ephesians and just soaking that in. Uh, Ephesians is described by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the divinest composition of man. And Ephesians, throughout its six chapters, covers topics like um, marriage, parenting, our work. It covers sin and suffering and prayer. It covers identity. It covers uh, love, unity, the way we speak about and to one another. And in all of this, um, all of these chapters, I guarantee you we'll find something that resonates with each of us, and if not the whole book. Ephesians is six chapters long. Fun fact about the Bible, when Jesus, when God put the Bible together, it did not come with chapters and verses. Um, at some point in church history, somebody thought it would be helpful to be able to find things, and so while riding on the back of a horse, he kind of added chapter and verse numbers, which is why sometimes you'll be in the middle of a sentence and a chapter will just start, because, you know, the horse bumped and his pen moved, and so he just went with it. But Ephesians is six chapters long. The first three are really heavy doctrine, uh, a lot of theology. And if the word theology scares you, it won't in about five weeks. Uh, we'll work through those pieces. And then the last three chapters are all practice. And so it kind of, Ephesians has this logic to it of if this is true, this is how we should live. And so we'll see in Ephesians, Paul expounding in these big sweeping categories about who God is and what he's doing and uh, his purpose for the church. And, and that's what's most important about this letter. This letter uh, has to do with the church. It's Paul's most direct letter about what we call, here's your $20 word for tonight, ecclesiology. And ecclesiology is the theology of the nature and activity of the church. And Paul's letter in Ephesians is all about the church, all about the relationships that make up the church and how those should function, about the way, the way that leaders function in the church and how that works. It has an idea about, uh, about how the church should be in the world and with one another. And, and here's what's most important. When Paul starts writing about the church and as God inspires this text, he wants us to know that the, a church is not a building or a location it's not defined by a committee or its leadership. It is not defined by an agenda, political, social, or otherwise. It is, the, it is about being the living church, a growing, breathing, moving, growing, I say again, organism that has the power to change the world. Paul has a, a vision from Jesus of the church being that, this thing that changes the world, that's not just about walls and a building and what we do right. It's about people that need Jesus and doing whatever it takes to help know them and know him. And here's why Paul is so passionate about this. Paul, who is really probably the greatest missionary and greatest theologian the church has ever known, who is responsible for a large swath of the New Testament, was not always Paul the church builder. Once, Paul was, once he was Saul, who was the most notorious human enemy of the church of his day. It was Saul who held the coats of men who stoned Christians to death. And it is Saul who has an encounter with Jesus on a road to a city called Damascus that changes his life 
forever. And he moves from being a persecutor of the church to being one that builds up the church, whose life is given to that, from persecutor to pastor. And we'll, we'll return to that over and over again. And Paul really hits this piece hard about how when he ex- experienced change on the road to Damascus, what that did inside of him. Because what Paul wants us to see in Ephesians 1, we're going to knock it out. So the good news is we only have five chapters over nine weeks after this. Uh, it's that this, he wants us to understand that the living church is full of people that know and grasp and comprehend and live into their new identity. It is not just people who do the right things or say the right things or give the right amount of money or know the Christian lingo. It's not about any, it's not about people who do Christian things. It's about people who have sensed at their deepest part of them that, that, that there is something different now that Christ has entered into the story. And Paul kind of gets there in these opening verses, but I, I want to start with this. I want you to mentally fill in the blank. I'm the blank one. I'm the blank one. Kyle, I, I'm the tall one. I'm the funny one. I'm the loud one. I'm the one that's addicted to achieving In my family, I'm the responsible one. I'm the one that bandages up everybody's feelings. Uh, I'm the careful one. I'm the one that says he's a rule follower but isn't. How would you fill in that blank? I'm the blank one. There are a lot of ways to fill it in. There's a lot of ways that we can make this our identity, but over and against this blank, Paul says this. Look at verses 1 and 2, and this is on page 740 of the Bible next to you. Verses 1 and 2, he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace on the screen, which is curiously missing part of it. So we'll figure that out another time, but What you can't see because it blocks it out, but the the New International Version says, the faithful in Christ Jesus. If you're having to be taking notes, just write that phrase down, in Christ. Paul will make a mention of this phrase, in Christ or in him, 30 times in this letter. 30 times he'll say, in Christ. There are words that are so important in this letter that if you miss them, you miss the whole thing. And because Paul uses this phrase 30 times, it's like he's trying to say, if you don't get anything else, get this, that if you have stepped across the line of faith, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have asked Jesus into your heart, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Listen to me, you're not just near Jesus. You're not close in proximity to Jesus, here's where you are. You are in Christ. And I know this is a strange concept for a lot of us, but it might be helpful to think of it as the unity experience between a mother and her child as it's in her womb. That unity, that inness, is what we experience with Christ. The unity and connection a husband and wife experience. Paul in Ephesians 5 will say, Marriage is all about Jesus in the church. That connection is how we are related to Christ. The way a branch is connected to a tree in ways that are inseparable. 
that is the image Paul wants you to have of a person that is connected to Jesus, not just attached, not just connected, not just near, not just close, but in Christ, in a union that is mystical and yet so real. And and here's the point. If you are in Christ, if you have stepped across the line of faith, if you have acknowledged Jesus as king, if you have asked Jesus into your heart, all this stuff, if you are in Christ, that, as of that moment, is the most important thing about you. The most important definition about you is that you are in Christ. doesn't matter what role you play in your family, how you view yourself amongst your friends or your colleagues or your work friends or what is most important about you is not your bank account or what you own. What is most important about you is that you are in Christ. Christ.